2: Hello everyone and welcome to Better Than Before. It's Tony Richards here and what a great show we got lined up for you today. Uh, Before we get started telling you about all that, I want to invite you to go by the Clear Vision website, clearvisiondevelopment.com and sign up for my weekly Monday morning memo email That will come to your email inbox every single Monday morning. I've got some big ideas in there. There's usually an article that's pretty timely and a journal topic, either a quote or a question that'll be new for you every single week. I think it'll be worth your time to go through and receive the Monday morning memo every Monday morning from clearvisiondevelopment.com. On the show today, Heidi Dulebon will be on our uh, program here in just a couple of minutes, and we're going to talk about breaking social codes. She even went to school right here in Columbia, Missouri, so we're going to talk about that and what she's doing today and how she's breaking social codes. And then later on in the program, We're up to number seven on our list of eight keys of life for the elite level performer. And number seven is adventure and lifestyle. And I'll be talking about that all coming up on today's Better Than Before program. Better Than Before is brought to you by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. The 2020 Subaru Crosstrek. It comes
1: with standard symmetrical all-wheel drive, plus an economical 33 miles per gallon.
0: And the Crosstrek has the lowest five-year cost to own in its class for three years running, according to Kelly Blue Book. Love is out there. Find it in a Crosstrek.
1: University Subaru. Homegrown and proud of it. See dealer for details. Are you working twice as hard, but... and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com.
2: Heidi Dulabon is my special guest today on Better Than Before, and she started her career by breaking codes, and now she teaches them. She was the first female grain trader at ConAgra, and before that, she had a storied career at Feruzzi and was the first ever woman to manage a major grain exporting facility in the United States. These jobs intensified Heidi's love of travel, which, alongside her insatiable curiosity, she has used to continue learning about diverse societies around the world and the codes they live by. Today, she dedicates her professional life to teaching American and international etiquette to those who might otherwise not have the kind of opportunities she herself has been able to pursue. She's trained as an international etiquette and protocol consultant and instructor from the International Etiquette and Protocol Academy of London, England. She knows etiquette is not just an act. It can provide the individual with a voice and the confidence to participate and belong. We're all inherently social. Manners really do matter. She works hard to instill greater cultural awareness among business leaders and understands that social codes enable us to participate or see past even break those codes. Uh, She is a graduate of our own Stevens College here in Columbia, Missouri. We're the college headquarters of America, I think, and holds an MA degree in distinction from the International School of Protocol and Diplomacy in Brussels, Belgium, with a concentration in cultural competence. She has an executive certificate in nonprofit management from the Kellogg School of Management, Northwestern University, and is currently enrolled in a similar program at the John F. Kennedy School of Government at Harvard University university she has an infectious interest and passion to learn participate and appreciate the social world around us which never ends and as she likes to say i'm not done yet and if there was ever a time we need a better understanding of each other and various cultures it is now so i am extremely happy to welcome heidi to the show heidi how are you today
0: Oh, so fine. Thank you very much, Tony. I'm fine, thank you. And you, how are you today?
2: I'm good. I'm just uh, honored that you would spend some time with us today after reading through all your accomplishments and knowing how busy you are. Um, As I said, when I was bringing you on, I don't think there's a better time for us to learn uh, different cultures and ways to communicate and ways to honor each other.
0: Oh, well, thank you. Uh, thank you. And I'm a fan of yours, Tony. I, um, as we were saying earlier, I, I just love the diversity of your guests. And you offer uh, such a chance for your listeners to learn such a, a broad brush, you know, of all across so many genres, yet you bring it all back into business. And, and it's just terrific. So I'm just really thrilled to be part of this. Thank you.
2: That's great. Now, in your biography, you used to be a grain trader.
0: I did. I'm proud of it. Uh, Corn and soybeans were kind of my specialty, but I ended up as a soft wheat specialist with uh, ConAgra. Soft wheat, uh, cookies, crackers, cakes, that kind of thing. My family was in the agriculture in Illinois where I grew up and uh, my dad, uh, I'm the eldest, had two little sisters and my dad believed strongly in a good Midwestern work ethic. Mm -hmm. And since I was the eldest, uh, I started working, you know, we had farms, we had, uh, my dad had the grain elevators in the area, the country grain elevators so I um, during harvest my job was to get up uh, be there open the one of the elevators uh, make the coffee and start weighing trucks and then after school the same thing and you know and if I had a bad day or messed up I tell you the punishment was out there dumping the trucks and if you clog the the leg the uh, which is how you elevate the grain, boy, you had to unclog the uh, the elevator and that was not fun. So uh, there were, it was a real learning experience. My dad always said, you're building character.
2: Mm-hmm. I always
0: thought, yeah, I've, I think I have enough of that. Don't I now? No, no. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, when I grew up in Western Kentucky, my grandfather and my father were in partnership in a feed store. And so oh. uh, I've done my share of truck weighing myself and <laughs> I've I've scooped grain with a wide shovel and uh, cleaned out hammer mill pits and all kinds of stuff. And I'm like you. I think I I built a lot of character in those early days.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm a character anyway, that's for sure. But it was a good way to grow up.
2: So how did your etiquette and protocol uh, interest develop to the point you decided to launch into that as a second career?
0: Well, um, my mother um, was a very, very proper British woman. Uh, Brit. She died a British subject. Uh, my dad. Um, uh, sailed. Uh, he ended up um, after uh, going into World War II. He was a World War II vet, a merchant marine, met my mother in Liverpool um, after the war. She, my mother, she always hated that. She was a child during the war. She was just only nine years old when the war started in Liverpool, a seaport, which was heavily bombed. And her stories were oh gosh, as a child growing up like that, horrific. So later in life, my dad sailed before returning home to the family, um, agricultural business. He, uh, and they had pharmacies as well, but anyway, he married, met my mother, brought her to Illinois. And my mother was, um, the old time Brits, the stiff upper lips. And, you know, everyone, um, You you, everything is etiquette. How you hold your knife and fork. And uh, gosh, I remember sitting there, my little sisters and I. Honestly, we we were so little, we could barely hold the forks. And she's like, "No, that's not the way you hold it." And she had a very proper English accent and was proud of that and never lost that. So, etiquette was always really foremost in in our minds, and it was how we were brought up. And I was told when my table manners were good enough, um, I would get a new dress and they'd take me to Chicago to the best restaurant, the pump room for dinner. So, you know, that's, you know, a little incentive. So I really brushed up on that. And it's it's that kind of thing um, that really stuck with me. And I remember as a child walking into that fancy restaurant, you know, in my new dress and. And sitting there and using the utensils correctly and sending signals, um, I'm finished or I'm resting. And and I, I I never forgot that. And I was very small. And my parents did the same with my other sis, my little sisters. But it was um, so they were naturally so one on one side. Tony, I'm out. You know, uh, trying to um, uh, unload trucks at the grain elevator and then come home and uh, practice table manners. So. <laughs> It was a little uh, dichotomy, but it was a uh, uh, well-rounded, they said. You're well-rounded.
2: Do you think that etiquette is still as relevant as it was when you were that small child learning it?
0: I do. I, You know what? I think you can make a case, Tony, that it's maybe even more important today. Um, my goodness gracious with all that is going on. I mean, what a what a spring we've had with, with this COVID and now all the, the unrest that's going on. You know, I, I think etiquette has evolved. Um, do, you, do many of us have big dinner parties with, you know, just um, where you break out your best china and you put your best foot forward? Hey, it's fun to do that every now and then. Do you do it every night? probably not. Um, but so things do evolve. We've become more casual. But the basics, the the, the uh, core values of etiquette, which I believe are all about kindness, about respect, about appreciation, those have all stayed. Those are still there. No matter how you hold your fork and knife, it's still there that we all need to be kind and we all need to be respectful and just be mindful of others you just don't know i get asked frequently about um now that we're sort of coming out of our homes a little bit here after covid you know what to do how to handle that you know social distancing you know and my advice is always be respectful you really never know where someone else is coming from but you do know this We've all been in this together. We're all going crazy. We're all on our last nerve. So be a little extra empathetic, have a little more understanding. And again, it's just about respect.
2: You know, I want to ask you one more question before we leave your um, childhood years. I think I know the answer, but I just want to ask it on behalf of our listeners. Were your meals at the same time every day?
0: Yes, they were. They were. My mother was very, um, punctual. We had a nice dinner. We all sat down and, um, you know, I'm lucky to have had that, you know, people don't today. Um, it's just all, we're casual. It's fast. Everybody's too busy, 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 but no, we did. We sat down as a family every night and my mother was watching our table manners.
2: So. We had breakfast at six 30. We had lunch at 11:30, and dinner was at six uh, o'clock. So, and you weren't late and you weren't late.
0: That's right. So, um,
2: so, so let's move uh, on up uh, through the years here a little bit. How has, how has etiquette evolved? So still within the framework of good etiquette, but has it changed much over the, over time or over the years?
0: Oh yes. I think many, many things have changed so much. Um, a, a lot to do with, uh, even some gender things, where um you know women were expected to wear dresses and um You know, you're expected to, uh, you know, a a woman wouldn't leave her home to go out in public without a hat and white gloves, that kind of thing. Although, you know, Tony, I was sort of thinking about that glove thing the other day. I'm at the grocery store and I have a mask on and I look down and I've got these blue gloves on. I thought, holy cow, maybe the glove thing's making a comeback. Because, I'm you know, I'm really interesting. I'm super interested in the history of etiquette. There are reasons for everything, you know, and there's a history to these things. Somebody just didn't make them up one day. There, there's a reason. And, and women started wearing these gloves back in the day because um, uh, for, for why we're sort of wearing them now, not for COVID, but for uh, to the, the dirt, the grime, the, the germs, whatever was out there. Um, so it's, it's sort of, that's sort of maybe, maybe make it, uh, come back a bit
2: you know, you brought up COVID-19. I was uh, getting a blood test the other day, just a regular one for my doctor checkup. And the lady who was taking my blood sample, I felt so sorry for her. She was covered from head to toe. She looked like she was going into a biological war zone. And uh, I could see through the plastic covering, you know, I could just see her eyes and, and her, she had a, a surgical mask on underneath a flip down plastic cover and uh, she was sweating and she was looked tired. And I just felt so sorry for her. So, um, so, so many of our medical professionals work so hard during that crisis. Um, so what about COVID-19 if, uh, uh, how does that affect etiquette?
0: Well, some of the common questions I get are, um, my neighbor is too loud, what do I do? Mm. I, I'm asked that all the time. And some people are asking because the neighbor across the street is playing loud music out on their patio, whatever. And, or I get it, they're, they're in a high rise in a city and the person on the other side of the wall is being too loud. And what do I do? Um, well, many of us are working from home Pretty much, most of us, some jobs cannot. But if you're working from home, and so many people have been homeschooling children, that you know this noise is an interference, and I understand that. However, in light of this, that literally we are all in this together. I mean, it, it's oh, repeated so much, but it's the truth. Have a little extra empathy, hmm. a little extra understanding okay now be reasonable if it is if you suspect something terrible is happening um in on the other side of that wall or the other side of the street then call an authority i have had this question where um you know maybe there's a domestic violence or something terrible Well, of course call the authorities but you know maybe if it's not that super disruptive maybe let it go once um you know if it keeps up of course text them phone give them a call uh, let them know please we're all stressed out but if you'd be so kind please turn the volume down a little bit I'm trying to work or I'm trying to teach my child and for the most part people have been very respectful a lot of times Tony we're we have to look inward as well. Sometimes we're the culprits as well. Maybe, you know, I had my my music on a little bit too loud the other day, you know? I mean, we have to look at yourself as well because um, we truly are just, this has been so, as they say, unprecedented. Well, it is. I mean, who, we just, six months, months ago, we couldn't even imagine something mm-hmm. like this. So yeah, just have an extra dose of empathy. Try to be as understanding as you can. And and we will get through this.
2: So well, I got to ask you this question while you're talking about that. I'm thinking about the uh, amount of time we're spending online because of COVID. And I think that's just going to continue to increase with people. We love our screens, you know um are are there etiquette rules for online
0: oh yeah there are there there's um you know virtual meeting etiquette actually uh and it's uh some simple things but people forget um show up on time uh people you know you, it, there's nothing worse than somebody coming on late and then having to you know you've got to bring them up to speed with the meeting be on time um, and look halfway you know the part and you know you don't have to be there with a, a suit and tie on or a, a fancy dress but you know I call it at home professional. just do that. Um, and then remember to mute your button. You know, so many people, I was on a Zoom meeting the other day and the dog was barking so loudly in the background, we couldn't hear anything. It became comical. I have two big dogs myself. I love them, but I make sure if I'm on a meeting, I shut my door and the dogs and nobody, if they're barking, they won't, uh, nobody will hear them. It's it's some basic things like that. And and to be respectful, don't speak over people. Um, I can tell you, it Dialogue, uh, they have a great thing that they recommend is to ha- set up a virtual meeting charter. Set some ground rules from the get-go, okay, here's how we're going to run the meetings, we'll go through the list, everyone will have a chance to talk, that kind of thing. Um, and they said, you know, really to set or set people at ease. It's really best to start these meetings with a just a few minutes of just sort of unstructured Chit chat. just check in with everybody and make sure you're inclusive. Don't leave anyone out. Uh, make sure everybody has a chance to, to contribute. Hey, how are you doing? That's going great. Um, so there are certain ways to run these virtual meetings and they've been very successful. I just read um, something from Harvard business review this morning, actually, that said um, maybe you should start your virtual meetings with a minute of meditation. Mm. You know, uh, just because, cool. Yeah, everybody is just so um on edge these days. So, uh yeah, there there is there's etiquette to just about everything it seems like. You know, so. I was a
2: speaker at a virtual conference about 2 weeks ago and there's a couple hundred people at the online in the Zoom meeting. And I noticed I've I've just always done this and perhaps I've been wrong, um but one of the speakers asked everybody, if you have to get up and take a break or go to the restroom or whatever, leave your camera on. And I've just always clicked mine off, taken care of what I needed to, and then clicked mine back on when I was back in my seat. Is there a rule for that?
0: Well, there's two schools of thought to that. Um, And one is to do what you did seems very respectful to me, you know, so it's just not sort of a blank thing there. Um, The other school of thought is, is to um, uh, just put up a picture Mm -hmm. that, you know, just have a still picture of you. uh, So it's not, we're not looking at your wall or your bookshelf or whatever we're looking at. So um, I think that's kind of a good idea. So there's just, you know, I'll be right back. You don't have to make it, you know, you don't excuse yourself and especially in a big meeting like that, just click off for a minute put up a still picture of yourself, and then come back in. And I, I, I think that's probably the best way to handle it.
2: Yeah, there were people in the meeting, there are all kinds of backgrounds. Uh, one guy looked like he was at the beach, and another guy looked like he was in Las Vegas. And, uh, of course, they were all just virtual backgrounds also. But uh, I was just curious. So what do you think is the most important reason to understand etiquette?
0: Uh, I think the most important thing is um, to help you through your life. As you navigate your life right now, it's everything. Oh, my golly. Everything is so dynamic right now. And it is um, you've got to have a foundation. You know, Tony, I really believe strongly that it, that everyone should be exposed to etiquette. You, you need to know these things. Do you need to know how to dine with the Queen at Buckingham Palace? Probably not, but you do need to know these basic social codes. Um, I feel that having a really good, firm knowledge, a knowledge base of etiquette sort of across the board, and we could talk about from table manners to dress codes to gift-giving introductions, that's a whole thing. It's just endless what we could talk about. But if you have a good working knowledge of that, I think, you know, a lot of etiquette schools, you go, uh, I've been to them, and then they check it off. Okay, you're done. You've succeeded. Here's etiquette. You know it. To me, and it's the end, to me, that is just the beginning because this knowledge that you have of all this of etiquette. It gives you the confidence to go on and do what you're really there to do. Say, for instance, you're at. Uh, at um, I've worked with many uh, professionals that find themselves in very formal dining situations. It's really a business meeting, and they're sitting there thinking, "Holy smokes, what do I pick up first? This is overwhelming. I don't have a clue to, do. And then they're so nervous about this table setting that they, um, they forget what they're there to say. So my school of thought is have this knowledge uh, base of etiquette, and then that gives you the confidence to go out there, sit at this very formal table. You'll navigate this complicated table setting just fine and do what you went there to do. Express your, your pitch your thoughts, uh, express your ideas. Um, it's all about confidence. And with that kind of confidence, you can go out and navigate through this world seamlessly.
2: I'll make a confession. Um, My wife is puzzled by this, but here's how I explain it. She says, you get up and you talk in front of thousands of people. You're not a bit nervous. You're not a bit anxious. It doesn't bother you at all. You walk out there and it rolls off of your mouth like a waterfall but you get into a smaller social situation that might be somewhat formal and you're just nervous as a cat. And I'm like, well, I'm in control with the thousands of people. You know, I walk out on stage and I have total control and i I feel very comfortable. But when I'm in a smaller social gathering where there may be unfamiliar etiquette or there might, it might be a slightly formal or, or really formal I, I, my mind is on making sure I'm doing the right thing. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, you are not alone. That is extremely common situation. One that I frequently get. Um, and just again, having this knowledge of etiquette to give you the confidence. I uh, worked with one um, person that was just was so nervous in that situation. It was so foreign, of uh, this very formal uh, dining situation. Uh, And he knocked over water, reaching for the bread basket when you never reach for the bread basket, the whole thing, you know, he just didn't know. And it ended up as a disaster. Everything was got wet. Someone had, it was a business meeting. It was normally you wouldn't have a laptop on a dining table, but it was okay in that situation. The laptop was all wet, you know, and it was And the guy had some really good stuff to share, but it was just shattered after, you know, causing this big scene, uh, simply from not knowing what to do.
2: What about career impact? Um, when you say things like that, I automatically think of boy, did debt damage that person's reputation or career.
0: Well, you know, I got called in by that person's uh, boss, actually, and I thought, well, that's a neat boss, and said, this this, um, this is an emerging leader with tremendous potential. We just need to get through some of these um, confidence issues. And I work with a lot of emerging leaders and a lot of CEOs and very high-level people also um, that perhaps get to very high levels, but we're just never um, exposed to this type of things, these etiquettes. And just introducing yourself can be hard. I do tons of cross-cultural competence. I I have a deep interest in that. And holy cow, can you be offensive to other cultures so unintentionally. And uh, I find it, um, your career can take a setback because you don't know some of these things. Yeah. And it, it's just an easy fix, but not all of us were exposed. Not all of us had a very proper British mother sitting there every night. Mm-hmm. And I and I realized that, you know? And so um, it's never too late. It is, like I say, I'm not done yet. Heck, Tony, I think I'm just getting started, tell you the truth. but. Uh, I read that.
2: I read that.
0: <laughs> I'm kind of one of those. But I so it's never too late. If you weren't exposed to this, you know, and you're a senior level executive, let's we can fix that. Same thing with the emerging leaders. Um let's nip that early in your career and so you will always have this confidence to go on because it will set you apart just some, just even basic business emails. You would be amazed at some of the emails I see that some of these young um, emerging leaders send out. I thought, okay, this is to your boss, not a friend. You know, I mean, there are some things like that um, all the way to, like I said, business cards, introductions, gifts, uh, travel, and then the whole entire huge genre of cross-cultural competence.
2: So you talk a lot about... um etiquette, empathy, and empowerment. How do those three things go together?
0: Yeah, that is really the, the, um, all the work I do really evolves around those. Um, I call them the three E's etiquette, uh, empathy and empowerment, because as we said, etiquette will give you the confidence to become a good leader. And I believe good leaders are empathetic Um, They've had all the etiquette training. They know how to respect someone with kindness. Um, And I I believe empathetic leaders are better leaders. However, good empathetic leaders, I believe um, you have to stay objective. You've got to be inclusive and you have to keep your eye on the ball. You've got to reach for those goals. And really good leaders then empower uh, their people to go out, and I think etiquette is a really empowering tool. Once you have that, you are empowered to go out there and stretch your stuff. You know, uh, uh, present your programs, present your solutions. Um, you are empowered with the, the the knowledge of all this huge, huge subject called etiquette to go out there and uh, and. Honestly, I've seen careers just soar just with that confidence.
2: Is there more adjustment going from the United States to another country, or is there more adjustment coming from another country to the United States?
0: I would say it's probably equal depending on the person and the situation. You know, we're all very different. But um, generally speaking, you know, you can be a huge success here in our country, and maybe you're transferred to, say, somewhere in Asia, maybe run the Tokyo office, and you're just a complete disaster. Mm-hmm. You cannot use the same things that work here. Um, you know, it's very interesting when you start studying these cultures, and um, you. that's why I believe strongly in um in appreciating and respecting other cultures, it does not mean you need to be- share a belief with another culture, but you just need to respect their beliefs and learn how it's happening there. So then you can see okay, uh, sometimes people say yes, but they mean no. You know, sometimes uh, we as Americans, uh, some people see us as really pretty direct. Time is money. Let's go, go, go. Where another culture might say, no, wait a minute. I want to get to know you. I want to get to know your family. You know, let's go out for dinner a few times and then we can talk business. So once you have an understanding of the different cultures you're dealing with, uh, then then you can be very successful in your business endeavors.
2: So we talked about meal times when we were kids, like we had specific set times. Are there specific set times the British have for tea?
0: Well, tea time is proper English afternoon tea. And here's one of my pet peeves, Tony. It's afternoon tea. You know, when um, I have so many of my American friends call it high tea. Well, high tea exists. It's something completely different. It was something that you had at the end of the day, served at a high table, Mm -hmm. a tall table when you came in out of the fields. So it's afternoon tea and the the really best time is at four o'clock. Um, it was something it was devised in the middle 1800s as um, something to sort of get you through to dinner because dinner wouldn't be until about eight o'clock much later than you and I had dinner by then I think we had some popcorn and then we're about ready to call it bit so. <laughs> <Right. laughs> but uh, but in those days it was um, it sort of they were a bit peckish is the word mm-hmm. and so they had a little something an afternoon tea there is a huge amount of etiquette I'm certified in afternoon tea Mm. actually I did one for fun um friend of mine published a book a couple of years ago and we did a proper afternoon tea and I sent away for um fascinators and everybody had their little hats on and we did the afternoon tea and had all the protocol for everything It it was a lot of fun
2: That's awesome. We're visiting with Heidi Dulabon and I'm going to give you an opportunity to to let everybody know how to reach you or how to find out more about you in just a second. But I have a standard list of closing questions we ask everyone who comes on better than before. And so I want to shoot these to you in pretty rapid fire succession if you're ready.
0: I'm ready. Thank you. All
2: right. What is the best memory that comes to mind for you?
0: Tony, my best memory, I have so many, I'm so lucky to have so many, but the one that just uh, warms my heart is, I'm very tall, Tony, I'm nearly six feet tall, and I had my dad, God rest his soul, was uh, six six, great big guy, and I remember I was always a head, maybe two heads taller than all the kids in school, uh, all the way till high school, I was like this giant kid, you know. So um, I remember in grade school, it was about second grade that uh, the parents could come in, you know, parents visiting. And I remember the parents were coming in the door of the classroom and there I am sitting at the desk that I barely fit into being like this giant. And my dad would always say to me, be proud of your height." Don't slouch. Stand up. And I thought, yeah, but I'm two feet taller than all the kids, you know. And then my dad came to the classroom, and there are all the parents are standing there. And then my dad came in. Tony, he had to duck to get under the doorframe of the classroom. He was so tall, and all the kids went, "Wow, your dad's." Oh, how cool! And so after that, you know, I stood a little bit taller on the playground. After that, you know, that, I think it's my favorite memory because I, I, after that, I became a little prouder of my height than not quite so
2: slouchy. That's awesome. Who's the number one hero in your life?
0: I would say my mom and my dad. My dad because he always had the strength of his convictions. He, you know, he believed what he believed, no matter if it was not the common view or if it was unpopular. And I really respect that. And my mother was my hero because she um, she instilled in us equality. She said, everyone, we are all the same. We all put on our pants. She always said our pants one leg at a time. And she said, we always need to be kind you need to respect people and go out and help others find someone who needs some help and get out there and be a friend and help them
2: what's the top value you subscribe to
0: a kindness i believe that if we are all just a little kinder this i mean golly that sounds kind of you know pollyanna-ish doesn't it but i do believe it if we were all a little kinder maybe this world could kind of calm down a little bit
2: nothing wrong with being nice um, most important person in your life?
0: Ah, uh, that's my husband. I, I, I really lucked out. I have the greatest husband. He is the kindest soul. He's the most thoughtful person. He, uh, he's a healthcare professional. Goes off every day trying to help people, and uh, I just admire him. and And he's my hero.
2: What's your favorite thing in the whole world?
0: Oh, my favorite thing is to travel. Um, I just love getting on a plane and going off to the corners of the planet to explore a new culture, hear new sounds, taste new tastes, smell new smells, just love to travel.
2: What's your favorite food?
0: Blue cheese. Mm. The stinkier, the better.
2: Most beautiful place you've ever been to?
0: This is a hard one for me because I've luckily, again, seen so many beautiful places in the world. But I, I think I'm going to have to say Banff in Canada. It took my breath away.
2: How do you want to be remembered?
0: Um, I'd like to be remembered for, um, for trying to help others. I sincerely believe in, in, if I, I truly believe that if I wake up and God, the universe, whatever you believe in gives you 24 more hours then I believe you need to get out there and go do something with them. Go help somebody. I'd like to be remembered for that.
2: If you could describe success in one word, what would the word be?
0: Ooh, that's a hard one, Tony. Success in one word. I would say um, respect. If you can respect others and others respect you, if you can command respect from others, I think you've been successful.
2: If you could go back and talk to a young Heidi, what would be the advice you would give her?
0: Don't worry about being so tall. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And um, uh, chill a little bit, you know, everything doesn't have to be so perfect. And I can't wait till I take that to heart.
2: (laughs) What's your favorite sound?
0: Okay. Okay a champagne bottle opening up that cork popping out because it always means a celebration, something good's
2: happening. That's awesome. Of all the lessons you've learned, what's the best lesson?
0: I read it in a magazine years ago and it said, if somebody tells you something about themselves, believe it.
2: We've been visiting with Heidi Doulabon. She is a social code expert. She teaches people, all kinds of social codes, etiquette, and especially if you are an executive that uh, travels overseas or a business person who uh, does a lot of international work, she would be a great expert to be connected to. Heidi, how do people find out more about you or contact you?
0: Um, please come be so kind. Uh, visit us on uh, my website, which is Um It's, Two funny spelled words, Heidi is H E I D I D U L E B O H N dot com. You'll find all sorts of good stuff blogs and uh, you can ask questions and uh, we do um, have a webinar coming up, all sorts of things. Uh, We're on Twitter, LinkedIn, um, you know, Instagram, all that stuff, but uh, please visit the website. um, And thank you very much for that opportunity. You
2: bet. Thanks for taking the time to do it. And maybe you'll get back here to Columbia, Missouri and see us one of these days.
0: Oh man, I would love it. I'd love to meet you at Shakespeare's pizza for a pizza.
2: Bring your husband. We'll all go to have some pizza at Shakespeare's.
0: Let's do it. I would <laughs> love it. You you just made my day. Thank you for such a, a fun opportunity and so nice to meet you.
2: Great. I'll have more with Better Than Before right after this. The 2020 Subaru Crosstrek. It comes with standard symmetrical all-wheel drive plus
0: an economical 33 miles per gallon. And the Crosstrek has the lowest five-year cost to own in its class for three years running, according to Kelly Blue Book. Love is out there. Find it in a crosstrack.
1: University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. See dealer for details. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word LEADERSHIP to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com.
2: Welcome back to Better Than Before. We've been talking about the eight keys of life for the elite level performer. Let's just run over those again just to refresh our memories. Number one is your inner life. Number two is your health. Number three is your family. Number four is your career, your business, your practice, your platform, number five your finances and economics number six is your circle of influence and your relationships number seven we're going to talk about today is adventure and lifestyle and number eight is all about how people are going to think about you after you've gone on from what you're doing otherwise known as your legacy We're number seven, which is adventure and lifestyle. Here's one of the biggest lies that have ever been told. Adults need to be serious all the time. When's the last time you were joking around, clowning around, and somebody said, oh, grow up? Like we uh, equate growing up with not being funny, or we think that joking around is juvenile, and that adults have to be serious, We lose connection with expansion and dreaming when we don't loosen up and have a little bit of fun. So the question then becomes, what can you do to have a little fun every single day, both in your organization and also in your personal life? When we're working as elite level performers, we're going to go through some cycles of growth on one end of the cycle we're going to have high performance results it's going to be our highest level performance and the best version of ourselves clicking on all cylinders and then on another part of the cycle we're going to be renewing ourselves and regenerating ourselves so we're going to be doing some strategic refueling and so If we don't do that renewal and regeneration, if we don't take some time to loosen up, relax, and have some fun, and we just grind and grind and grind and grind with no break, we're eventually going to run out of fuel and we'll get into a condition we commonly call being burned out. If you keep being creative all the time, if you keep getting production going all the time and you're productive and you don't have any renewal, you're going to, Go into a game uh, that whatever you call your what it is that you do for a living, we call it the game, right? Playing a higher level game. Well, you're going to go in there and crash because the whole situation is going to fall apart as you enter into a depleted state. When your body is all depleted of its minerals and its energy, all you want to do is lay around all the time. All you want to do is rest and sleep because you've gone so far over the line and become so depleted, you don't have any energy to do anything and you don't want to get to that point. You want to have high periods of productivity and then adequate amounts of renewal and regeneration so you can come back stronger and better than before. Professional athletes play sports that have an on season and then they have an off season. Why do they have an off season? They need to renew and relax and regenerate to come back to play at their highest level of the game. You might say, well, I wish I had three or four months off. Well, You could, if you wanted to, you could probably, if you're an elite level performer, you can probably do just about anything you want to do that doesn't sacrifice your results. So just what I'm trying to get across to you is you're going to need some strategic refueling time to heal, to strategize and to plan. If you want to build a muscle, the key is to go beyond your comfort zone. If you've done 20 reps in a set for a while, maybe you want to do 35 because you want to tear that muscle down and allow it time to regenerate and recover and come back stronger. So if you want to go out and play at an elite level and be at your very best, you're going to have to allow yourself some time to renew and regenerate. So that's what this particular area is all about is how to manage your lifestyle, and how to manage the adventure in your life to keep yourself excited. Here's a couple of areas I think you should focus on as far as renewal and regeneration. One is your mind. So your mind needs some time to think, to meditate, to work on your mindset and on your state of mind and to get yourself into a good place. Reading. Reading feeds your mind, so you want to keep giving it relevant inter- uh, relevant information to help you do a better job or increase your game. And Sometimes you just want to read for entertainment because, again, you need some time where you're not on. Some people like to do things like write in their journal. Some people like to paint. Some people may even like to play a musical instrument. It's still mind work and it still keeps your mind busy, but it's not the same as what you do every day for a living. So it's a little bit of a break for your mind to focus on something else. Another area is your body. You know, your body needs time to rest. It needs time for exercise. Uh, You need to make sure you're feeding it the right food. Perhaps you might want to think about getting massages from time to time. I've got one client who's an elite level performer. He gets one massage a week. He says, I just need that. That's just a time. It helps me relax. It helps me not be tense, breaks all the muscles down in my body and gets them to soften and to sort of relax before I, you know, go back and hit the ground running again. Another area to focus on is your emotions, Keeping your well full of good water before you run out of water. If your emotions are empty all the time, you're going to run into some burnout. You're going to run into some frustration. You need to give yourself a media diet. If you're a regular diner of media information, you probably need to back off from that a little bit. Give yourself a break from it. Give yourself a gratitude list. Something that can focus you on the things to be thankful for and the things to be grateful for. Some of your time needs to be spent alone and some of your time needs to be spent with friends. And you can adjust the percentages of that accordingly to yourself. And I think music is good for your emotions also. And different kinds of music evoke different kinds of emotions You know, maybe you've had a killer week and you just want to go out and put Life in the Fast Lane by the Eagles on and turn it up to 10. Or maybe uh, it's a certain time in your life where it would be good to listen to some jazz or some easy listening type uh, adult contemporary tunes or whatever. So you have to pick, but I think music is good for your emotional life. And then finally, your spiritual life. Prayer is good. Volunteering is good for the spirit, doing nice things for other people. And um, I don't know what your religious affiliation is, but, you know, I'm a Christian. And so the Bible is good for me. And uh, if you are of that faith, would be good for you. But typically, no matter what faith that you practice, there is a guidebook that that particular uh, faith goes by. So, it's good to spend time in that particular guidebook, whatever it is. Now, here's some action steps for you on this number seven category of adventure and lifestyle. Number one, you need to, if you've lost connections with things that make you happy, you need to reconnect with them. So, sit down and make yourself a list. What are the things that make you happy? And are you spending enough time in each of those particular areas? Build in a little micro-adventure every week, which would probably include some of those things that you listed there in your happy list. Just remember that being happy and having pleasure and having joy are not a waste of time. So if you're coming off a time or a period where you've really been engaged in your work and you've been on a roll, when you disengage to spend some time with those things that you'd like to reconnect with, you could feel guilty and you could feel like, boy, I'm just wasting time. I could be doing something more productive. No, you're not wasting time and you are being productive because these kinds of things will pay off in the long run. Make the first hour of your day, your holy hour. So, Figure out what your morning routine needs to look like and what are the things that you need to do, do during that time and do them. You can enhance your lifestyle. You can enhance the adventure portion of your life. You can enhance the rest and relaxation part portion of your life if you engage in a holy hour that contains your morning routine that has those components that you practice as rituals. Third thing you can do is you can give yourself a nightly debrief. And in your nightly debrief, you're going to review your day. What did you get done on your list? What went right? What could have gone better? How could you have improved? What do you need to do different next time? And then also, what are the four or five things that went really well today? And really focus in on the things that you did do and the things that you did accomplish You spend a lot more time focusing on that than you do what the normal, natural human being mind wants to do is focus on the things you didn't get done. But that's the great thing about marking things off your list is you can see the things you did rather than focusing on the things you didn't do. Give yourself a quarterly retreat. I do quarterly retreats with all my organizational clients. Every 90 days, we take a couple of days to examine the 90-day period and plan for the next 90 days. You need to do that too. Think about how you're performing. Think about your goals. Take at least four of these a year, once a quarter, to spend time thinking about what's the next 12 or 13 weeks need to look like To bring me closer to my overall goals for my total life not just for my work not just for my results from a performance standpoint but in all these eight key areas of life and then the last action item I could give you is do something fun every day every single day figure out something that you can do that's fun and remember everything in moderation that doesn't mean blow off the entire morning goofing off because it's fun. Do something fun every single day and just figure out what those things are and they are, can be really, really simple, but they keep you lighthearted and they keep you uh, free and easy so the pressure doesn't get you. Part of that might be turning off all your technology. Go on a technology fast and uh, turn your phone, smartphone off, close your computer, And just have some fun and keep that outside communication of the world from coming in just for a little while. You can do it just for a little while. And when you first do it, it's going to be incredibly hard. Your mind is going to start thinking about all the people who might be emailing you, or all the people who might be texting you, or all the people who might be trying to call you. I don't know whether you know this or not, but we used to live in a world where we had none of those things. Someone could leave the house and we might not talk to them for several days because we didn't have texting. We didn't have phones. We didn't have email. You know, we'd call their house, but we weren't going to talk to them until they got home. And they didn't know we were calling. So I think there's this perception that we have to be available and on seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And that just isn't so. And it would do you a lot of good to turn that stuff off for a little while, or at least limit yourself to the amount of engagement you're actually going to use where technology is concerned. Well, that's our program today. Better Than Before is brought to you by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. On behalf of our associate producer, Whitney Coker, and chief producer, William Foster, I'm Tony Richards reminding you that everything gets better when you get better. Thank you
1: for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards.